reflecting on the guiding principles of great importance to us as a church. Um, I would argue that they should be values of the church, church-wide. As a Christian community, uh, what we value most will drive what we do. I put forth that we should value being a Christ-centered, scripturally-based church that functions in the context of community, of koinonia, uh, a community that's deeply sharing life together in Christ, that honors the priesthood of all believers, worships in spirit and truth, embraces Christian leadership with a team approach, and are a people of love and grace, a people of prayer, a people of generosity and service, and a people of mission. So today, before I invite Mike up to uh, lead us in communion, I want to I take a few minutes to kind of bridge the themes that we have gone over here to say, what, what are we valuing as a church? Who should we be as a church? How should we function? So if someone says, what is that church about? Well, th this should be the orthopraxy, the, what this church is doing and functioning. And I want to bridge that with the fact that we are in this season of Advent, the first Sunday of four Sundays in Advent. And that's a time that we celebrate the coming of Jesus. Advent simply means arrival or coming. And, and we do that during the Advent season. The idea would be that we kind of have one eye on his first coming. You think of him coming in to, to Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph doing their traveling and how God orchestrated all the details and him being born in a stable. We have one eye on his first coming, but we have the other eye, if you will, on his promised return, on the second Advent. That if he said he was going to come once, and he did, and then he promised he's going to come again, guess what? He's going to come again. So one of the regularly occurring contrasts in Scripture is this theme of light versus darkness. Light versus darkness. I mean, it, it is all over the Scripture, and we, we sang a lot about it this morning. Light versus darkness. Who was afraid of the dark as a kid? Right, so why? Why were you afraid of the dark? Who's still afraid of the dark? <laughs> Thank you, Brianna, for your honesty. Thank you. Okay, so there's a, why, what else? Why would we be afraid of the dark? Right. Spiders, coyotes going out to your tree stand in the morning. What are, what, what's that? Skunks, worse. The first words that God speaks into creation are let there is let there be light. It's that it's that first it's that first sentence we hear from God. Let there be light. In the beginning of Genesis 1. And you see that God separates the light from the darkness. There's a distinction between light and darkness, and he calls the light good. In the Bible, darkness typically comes to represent the consequences of mankind's rebellion against God. The consequences of what we call sin. And that word, that word actually means to miss the mark. 
that God has this perfect standard and we all miss it. And, and so darkness comes to represent all those things that are the consequences of our sin, the consequences of our rebellion. Uh, it, is, it signifies as evil, judgment, oppression, the dominion of Satan, confusion, ignorance, bondage, moral chaos and corruption, fear, lostness, harm, pain, death. All these are, are associated with darkness in Scripture. All that corresponds to humanity's alienation from God because of sin. So we can say that a world estranged from God is a distinctly dark place. And, and even what sometimes the world calls light is really not light at all. It, it, it can itself be darkness. Satan presents himself like an angel of light, but he rules over a dominion of darkness. So, so a world estranged from God is a distinctly dark place. Light, on the other hand, represents the kingdom of God. It represents throughout Scripture the presence of God, the holiness of God, the way and guidance of God. You think about God's word, that it's a, it's a, a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, his revelation, his truth, his enlightenment, not enlightenment as the world might think it, but to say his enlightenment, enlighten me with your word, enlighten me with the revelation of who you are. Light represents salvation in God's word, safety, uh, the joy and wholeness and life that only comes from God. So where a world estranged from God is a distinctly dark place, a, a community reunited with God is to distinctly be a place of light. I'm going to read a few verses. Um, we should have them up on the screen just because I'm going I'm to read a few. It, you, if you want to turn, I'm going to start in a Isaiah chapter 9. Then I'm going to be in the Gospel of John. And then in a few minutes, we'll be in Matthew 5. So I'm going to start in Isaiah 9 and read verses 2 through 7. And this is a really common scripture read during the Advent season. Many centuries before Jesus was born, we see this prophecy of Isaiah. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, or it could be the land of darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the, the, na in the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulder. The rod of the oppressor. So all these things that represent darkness, right? The consequences of sin. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. They will be fuel for the fire. Why is this? Verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, 
And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. A couple of verses out of the very beginning of the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. Just read the first five verses. And then I'm going to turn to John 8, 12. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, this is speaking of Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the what? Light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood or could be rendered overcome it. And Jesus says in John eight twelve. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what we need to understand here, I'm going to try and be pretty simple, pretty direct. What we need to understand here, when we hear the prophet Isaiah say, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, or the land of darkness, it could be rendered, A light has dawned. We're being told that the kingdom of God, right? Because because light represents the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the holiness of God, and the darkness represents the consequences of sin, pain, death. So what we are seeing here and hearing here is that the kingdom of God is breaking through the dominion of darkness, what's going on the world is living all of us in the shadow the shadow land of death but but God is breaking through with his light the kingdom of God is coming that's what Isaiah is saying and then in John's gospel John parallels in the the prologue, the the first few verses we read there, he parallels the creation account and he talks about Jesus being the light of this new creation, a light that pierces the darkness. And then in in John 8, 12, we just read, Jesus proclaims himself, I am the light of the world. And he says that this light, whoever believes in him, this light that he is will dispel darkness from the people who accept him, who receive him. In the light of Jesus, we can say, and it goes much beyond this, but we can say we see two things Clearly, in the light of Jesus, we see who God is. He is God in the flesh. He was prophesied 
to be, and the angel said that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. So we see who God is. But in the light of Jesus, we also see what? Who we are. And both of those, to people living in the, the land of the shadow of death, who are God rebels, can be very uncomfortable things. And this is why uh, Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3 that, that a lot of people who are confronted with the light will, in a sense, recoil more deeply into the darkness. And he says that this will happen because they, they will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. That's true. The light, it, with the light of Jesus, there's this element of exposure. We see who God is and we see who we are. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what did they do? They hid. They ran away. They hid. Adam, where are you? God knows where Adam is. He's asking this question to Adam, maybe so Adam can think and process in himself, where am I? What am I doing? Why am I hiding? God knows all things. He knows where he is. Adam, where are you? He's hiding. And we want to hide. We don't want to be exposed. But here's the deal. When you step in to the light of Christ, there is an element of exposure. You have to say, I am who I am. And that's not all pretty. I'm broken. I'm failed. I've failed. I'm a sinner. I've thought and said and done things that, I've been, that I'd be embarrassed by. I've rebelled against you, Lord. I've rebelled against your way. I haven't trusted your way. There's this element of exposure. But here's the deal. You remember in the Garden of Eden when, when Adam and Eve hid away and, were, and realized they were naked, what did God do? He brought them out and he made garments for them. He wouldn't leave them in their nakedness. And that's a picture of what was to come. So you step out and go, oh, man, I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be laid bare before God. I don't, I'm afraid to see who he is and who I am in his light. The Lord is not going to leave you naked. You come to him in repentance and faith. Your sins are paid for. Every wrong you've ever done, even today, even tomorrow, paid for on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus, who took your sin on Calvary, grants to you his righteousness like a robe to cover your entire being when you come to him. He will not leave you naked. He will clothe you in his righteousness. In Jesus, we're shown a way out of the darkness. The lostness, the ignorance, the death that comes with the alienation from God because of my sin. And we're led into his light. But in that light, we find forgiveness. We find restoration. We find a home with God. 
it, it's really cool at the, at the end of all things when, when the Lord does return and, the, and, and everything's refined by fire. Once it was refined by water, then it'll be finally refined by fire. We see that the new Jerusalem comes down to earth and, and in that very end of Revelation, it's actually, uh, it's actually a reflection of what is said, I think in Isaiah 60, there's this picture of, of, of light, of God, the light of God's glory with his people. And it says there's not going to be a need for a sun or moon anymore. Because God with his people is their light. That's what we celebrate during the Christmas season. It's Jesus, the light of God, bursting into the darkness. Bursting into my darkness and inviting us to the light of life. An anticipation that his, his promise will be fulfilled, that he will come again in final judgment to restore all creation. But until that second advent, all who have breath have the opportunity to go one direction or another, to recoil more deeply into the darkness because they're afraid that they'll be exposed, or to come into the light and know life. What a shocking and breathtaking narrative. <laughs> Jesus, the light of the world. The kingdom of God breaking into the dominion of darkness. But now listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. This is found in the, what's uh, famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. I'm just going to read verses 14, 15, and 16. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise you. No. Praise your Father in heaven. So Jesus turns to these followers. And if you know anything about the context of this scripture, he's just called these people blessed. You're so blessed. Blessed, 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 blessed. Because you're poor in spirit. You're blessed when you mourn that condition because you'll be comforted. You're blessed when you're meek. You're blessed when you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You're blessed when you're merciful. Blessed when you're pure in heart. He calls them to be peacemakers who are willing to endure persecution. That was the expectation. You'll be insulted. You'll be persecuted. Blessed are you in, in the midst of that. Not that you retaliate, but that you're peacemakers. Blessed are you. So to this poor, ragtag, broken group of people that nobody would have chosen in a schoolyard pick <laughs> to, be, to have any great meaning and purpose in any such way, to accomplish anything great, to them, to us, Jesus says, you, plural, that's plural, you, my people, you, my new community, are the light of the world. Do 
how is that even possible? I mean, I can get that Jesus, the Son of the living God, God the Son, breaking into the darkness of, of a creation dominated by sin and death. He breaks into the world. He is the light of the world. But now he's turning around and saying, you and me are the light of the world? That is only possible when you're illuminated by the light, capital L. Only possible. The light of Christ, when you come into his light in repentance and faith, and when you walk in the light in fellowship with God through the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11 says, For you were once darkness. That always strikes me. He doesn't even say you were living in darkness. Paul says you were once darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. And then he encourages them. Here's, that's your condition. You were darkness, now you're light. His encouragement then is live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Jesus is saying in Matthew here, He's saying, just as he has invaded the dominion of darkness with his light, the light of the kingdom of God breaking through, so too will his people. That will be the nature of things. Michael Wilkins writes, it's a commentator, simple, simple quote, but I just thought, wow. He says, Jesus' disciples... So if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, Jesus' disciples, the church, right? His community of followers are a living demonstration of the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. That's not ju true just for the people Jesus was talking about 2,000 years ago. That's supposed to be true for us. That Jesus' disciples are a living demonstration of the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. Notice that Jesus' words emphasize that light by its very nature permeates. It should not be hidden. He's like, what's the point of lighting a lamp if you're going to throw a bowl over it? What's a bowl going to do to a lamp? going to choke it out, right? What, what's, what's the point? That's silly. No, you put it up on a stand, and you think about these little homes in antiquity. They probably would have been one-room dwellings, a lot of them. You put it up on a stand, and it get cast light for everyone in that dwelling. By nature, it permeates. By nature, it should not be hidden. But in this, I think Jesus is speaking of the conditional nature of our influence, We will only have as much influence as we're willing to put forth rather than conceal his light. It doesn't make sense to conceal it. But if you do it, Luke actually says if you put it under a bed, some people wonder if, if Jesus turned to a lazy faith. Ah, I'm putting my lamp under a bed. I'm going to take a nap. Who does that? 
So if you're trying to be an incognito disciple of Jesus, or you're trying to just, hey, maybe I can just go with the flow with the, wor with the world. I'll sing my worship songs at church, but you know when I'm at school, it's just a lot easier to laugh at the jokes. It's just a lot easier to go with the flow. It's a lot easier not to engage when, when I see an injustice. It's a lot easier at work not to, you know, not to stir the pot. I'm just going to act like they do. If you're trying to be an incognito Christian, go with the flow of the world, or you're professing to be a disciple, but persisting in certain ways and walking in darkness, those things that are out of step with the light, it's just as absurd as you're lighting a lamp and living under a bowl. If you consider that, if you, if you say, that's me, I'm the lamp. I'm the light. But now I'm going to throw a bowl over my head. I'm going to choke myself out from oxygen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, flight into the invisible is denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide has ceased to follow him. Instead, we're, we're to do what Light does. <laughs> we're, we're, to, we're to have light do just what we sang about this morning. Shine, Jesus, shine through us. Jesus gives this picture of a, of a city on a hill. A community, you could say, of people that could be clearly seen. And you can picture all their little lights glowing out of their windows. A city on a hill can't be hidden. He's like, that's what you should be. This, because a city on a hill is a refuge to the weary traveler in darkness. That people would see you as a community of refuge. Not a community of judgment not a community that I want to in, enter into because I don't, I don't fit with those people. I'm afraid of those people and I'm going to sit in a place and try and get in and get out because, no, you're supposed to be the light of God, a refuge of God. And with that, we're going to speak the truth. There is going to be some exposure, but we all need to be clothed together in Christ's righteousness, Right? We're all together sinners forgiven by God, looking to live in his light. You, the church, are that city on the hill. Derek Mellaby um, last week shared about God's shalom, that God's people are to bring God's peace into the world as peacemakers. And Jesus says in, in the Beatitudes that, that peacemakers will be called the sons of God. Why? Because we're about the mission and the character of God. Bringing shalom, that God would say, you can have peace with me. We can be reconciled. And then from that reconciliation would overflow into peace in your own life. And from that would overflow into peace with one another. It's some work. It's an ongoing process, Right? And, over, and from that, there would be even peace with creation. Say, so how do we do this? How, are we, how do we bring the shalom? How are we a city on a hill in the light of the world? Live our lives for Christ. <laughs> in every situation. Wherever you're at, I'm living for Christ. 
We're to be characterized for our influence for good in the name of Jesus. And that is, that is different. You know, some people do want to do some good, but we're doing good in the name of Jesus. <laughs> you, you may have heard it t- before, like, you know, I, I thought I wasn't saved. You're, you're talking about good works and doing good. I thought I wasn't saved by my good works. You're not saved by your good works. You're only saved by the grace of God when you come to him. But you are saved unto good works. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Jesus says in verse 16 of Matthew 5, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. There has to be an act of engagement. Light permeates, light pierces the darkness. There's this active engagement and my activity and my lifestyle reflects the light of God in everything I do, in the words that I choose, in my attitude. And when my attitude's bad, I I can show the light by saying, I just had a bad attitude. (laughs) Asking forgiveness. And the actions that I do, the, the love that I give instead of withholding. John Stott says, good works is a general expression to cover everything a Christian says and does because he is a Christian. Every outward and visible manifestation of the Christian faith. Because we, when we engage in this kind of lifestyle... It'll just be seen. It'll be naturally seen. It should be organic. It should be, be children of the light. Walk in the light. Do as the light does. It's not that we're to, and Jesus warns about this a little later in Matthew 6, it's not that we do our acts of righteousness so that we can be seen and praised by men. Oh, what a good guy Scott is. Oh, you know, what a great gal Jill is. That's not the point. If anything, then Jesus says, if anything, you should do, try and do it meekly, try and do it quietly, even in secret, if you can. But he's still saying the nature of the light is light. It pierces the darkness. It'll be seen. It's a natural outflow. It'll be evident. And the goal isn't that we would be praised, but that others may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Uh, A man named R.T. France says, The aim of the disciple's good works is not to parade his own virtue, but to direct attention to the God who inspired them. It's not for people to call me a good guy. It's for people to look at my life and say, Wow, that guy's being changed. He's not quite the jerk he was. Sometimes a jerk. Not quite the jerk he was. He's changing. He's transforming. Wow, God must be doing a work there. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In Jesus, the kingdom of God is breaking through the dominion of darkness now. Greater things have yet to come. Greater things have still to be done in this community. If you know Jesus, you have become 
light. A living demonstration of the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. Own it. Well, I'm not sure. Jesus, God the Son, says you are the light of the world. Own it. What darkness does God have you entering into that you would be God's light? Where is there a need of, for God's love, for God's truth, for God's peace in your family, in your workplace, with your neighbors? Peter tells us that we're to be a people who declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. I'm just going to wrap up with this, and then I'll invite Mike up. I, I, uh, this past week, actually just Thursday and Friday, I had to travel down and bury my grandfather. He lived 96 years, and I say, wow, that's a long time, but that ain't nothing. It's 96 years in the scope of eternity. Now, if you're 20, you're going, that sounds long. When you're 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70, you're like, maybe it's not as long as I thought. And I stare, you know, I stare at this stiff, emaciated, 96-year-old, embalmed body that just slightly now resembles the grandfather that I knew my whole life. And that body's going to get buried six feet into the ground that's dark. You look at pictures of my grandfather when he's in his 20s. He could have been a model. I mean, he was just good looking, full of life. Who is this stiff, emaciated, 96 year old, plastered with makeup, casket getting closed, buried into the ground? That's a dark place. But it's those very dark places that Jesus enters in with his light. On the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. (laughs) It would be a very dark place if it weren't for the light of Jesus. That would be a very, very dark place if it weren't for the fact that I knew, even through a simple faith, my grandfather trusted in Jesus. And that means to be away from that broken old body that's now stiffened as a boar getting laid into a grave, to be away from that body is to be at home with the Lord. That would be a really dark place if I didn't have the hope of resurrection. It would be a really dark place if I didn't have the hope that he is not there, he's with Jesus, and someday we will be together again. That's not a fairy tale. That's what the light of God has brought into my life. That's what's invaded the darkness. So when I go amongst my family as believers, and some of them questioning, some of them not believers, that's the simple light that I'm reflecting in that moment. What light, what, what darkness is God leading you into that you are to be the light? 
What hopelessness, what relationship, what brokenness, what trial, what trouble, what oppression, what injustice that God says, be my light in that place. Be my light in that relationship. Where does God have us together to enter in? You, plural. Jesus is saying, my people, my church, you are the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. Amen? Michael, I'm right up.